morning, Abundant Life. It's, can we give a virtual hug to Pastor Brian? All right, he is off uh, vacationing and uh, he texted me this morning. Uh, we love our pastor and it's just a joy. Thank you, Pastor Brian, for those kind words. I'm, for those of you who may have come here expecting to hear Zach Poonin, I want you to let you know I'm not Zach. I tried to do that last week and it didn't work. Uh, but I am uh, grateful for um, his ministry last week. Uh, how many of you were blessed last week? Amen. You know, we don't get to pick the family we're in. Uh, I know certainly as an 18-year-old, I wanted to have nothing to do with the name Poonin. Okay. I was a preacher's kid. Uh, I wanted to get as far away as I could. But you know, there's kind of the story um, that goes around on Father's Day that when a boy is five years old, they look up to their dad and they think their dad's the hero. Uh, they get to 10, 15, they think, eh, dad's kind of old-fashioned. You know, they get to 20 and then they're like, dad really doesn't have it. And they get to 30 and they're like, you know, I probably should consult dad. You get to 40, ah, I really... And then 50 or 60, and you just wish, you know, I wish how much I'd give for dad to be around. So um, I am uh, grateful uh, for many spiritual fathers in my life. And uh, today I, I want to talk about, um, I think, two topics that you may often think are disconnected. Being a disciple of Jesus and being a Christian in the workplace. Uh, it's easy to think of these as, well, if I'm a disciple of Jesus, I'm like those 12 that followed Jesus, they were doing it full-time, or maybe like one of the pastors or the deacons that I see in the church. Or if I'm a Christian in a workplace, I'm on a different type of treadmill. How are these connected? And um, the scripture that we're going to focus on, among many others, is Mark 10, verse 40 to 45, where the best example of a leader in all of history, Jesus Christ said this, Mark 10, 42 to 45. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, these are leaders in the, in the secular word, lord it over them, lord it over other people. And their high officials ex exercise authority over them, what you might consider top command and control. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant leader. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this idea of being a leader as a servant is so foreign to the way in which the world thinks about today, but it's so central to the way in what we see Jesus lived his life on earth. And what he seeks to apply, and applies not just in the church, and the corporate world, it applies in our home, in our family. If you seek to be the head of anything, and God's appointed you in that, the place in which you can find rest is in going down. We live in a day and the age in the Silicon Valley today where that's not the case. You just have to open up the newspaper or the digital news and you read story after story after story. Most recently about the CEO of Uber. And, you know, one scandal after the scandal, lots of workplace harassment. And then, you know, he sends out a memo saying, I want to move from Travis 1.0 to Travis 2.0. More leaks come out and Travis 3.0 is a fired Travis. That's what happens. It's not no surprise when you see this happening across the world today. We're, what, the, what, what the corporate world needs, it's been very, very rare that you find it, is a savior. And when you look at today, the Silicon Valley, we're living in one of the most 
uh, impoverished areas as it relates to the Word of God. Probably one of the wealthiest parts of the world in terms of material wealth. But only 4% profess to be Christian. That's in an area of 10 million, that's probably 400,000. But I suspect there's much less than 400,000 that even go to church. Okay? Maybe it's half of that 400,000. Maybe it's a quarter of that 400,000. Maybe 100,000 every Sunday. And outside of that 100,000, there's probably a minority that really, really, really wants to follow Jesus Christ. And we have an opportunity to be in that special, special remnant that wants to follow Jesus Christ wherever the Lord's placed you. And most of us, for most of us, it's in the workplace, brothers and sisters. Some of us are called to full-time ministry. My dad was called to that. He supported himself through some of his savings, but he was called at a young age. I didn't feel that same calling. And I feel the Lord's called me like a Daniel in the workplace. And I want to share today some of my own experiences, some practical ways in which hopefully I can encourage every one of you in that own walk. Um, But our obligation in the world is to be that witness, wherever the Lord has placed us. And the Lord has called every one of you, every one of you, to be a leader. I'm glad that we're doing this global leadership conference and it talked about influence. Let me ask you, how many of you are older than one month old today? In this room. I don't think we have any babies in this room. Okay. Every one of you is probably older than one other person. Certainly physically, probably even spiritually. You're called to be a leader. The key is to understand how you can be an influence to the person the Lord's put in responsibility over you. If you are an older sibling, it's somebody who is younger to you. If you're an older brother or sister in Christ, maybe there's somebody else the Lord's put alongside you. Maybe it's your husband, maybe it's your wife. Certainly, if you're a parent, it's the children the Lord's put in your home. You're called to be a leader. And there's a perception that the only people who are leaders are the people who are appointed at the top of a hierarchy, or a manager, or a regional manager, or a vice president, or a CEO. Everybody is called to be a leader. In fact, you'll see the examples of leaderships are completely counterintuitive when you look at who Jesus called. These were folks who were fishermen, and they became had tremendous impact in the world. So when you think about being a disciple of Jesus and being a Christian in the workplace, these are absolutely connected. And I want to give you three S's that you can remember this today. My parents made the very easy job of um, naming us four boys all with S, so we always get confused. Okay? Uh, and I often even get my kids now sometimes confused. I got Sophia, and then when I talk to my brothers, it's Santo, Sandeep, Sunil. We always get our names confused. So S's are kind of in my brain. Okay? But three S's that I think you can remember are hallmarks of what a disciple is called to do. And I would say directly what a Christian in the workplace is also called to do. There's an absolute parallel between these three. Number one is to suffer. Number two is to serve. And number three is to be spirit-filled, Holy Spirit-filled. Number one is to suffer. And number two is to serve. Number three is to be spirit-filled. These are the hallmarks of what um, are the marks of a disciple. Now, if you think about, you know, typically what it means to be a Christian, people typically say the ABC. Remember what the ABC is? Accept. Believe, confess. 
right? Everybody probably knows that. Accept, believe, confess is what you typically shared and perhaps that first time when you heard an evangelistic sermon. But if you look at Matthew 28, verse 18, I've shared this before here at this pulpit, there's a lot more to being a disciple than accepting Jesus, believing, and confessing. It says in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, And Jesus came and spoke to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples. He doesn't say make converts, make people who just believe or accept Jesus. Make disciples in all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've told you. So I would say it doesn't stop with ABC. Once you've accepted, believed, and confessed, you have an obligation to be a disciple. The D is a disciple. I was sharing this sort of outline with my daughter, Sophia, last night. She said, yes, Dad, that's great. D is a disciple. But then, if you're a disciple, you get to E, which is you'll be in eternity. Okay? Forever. F is forever. And G is God. And I said, great, you got the message. <laughs> and H is heaven. Perfect. On and on. On and on. But the key is, don't forget, brothers and sisters, it doesn't end with except believing in being a disciple. So here, this is something that I rejoice about Abundant Life, that we have chosen to make discipleship a key part of our focus. You hear that? It's not something that's preached often in the pulpits today, and that's something we want to focus on. Now let's look at what are some of the key hallmarks of that disciple. We go no further than the book of God, the Bible. Luke 14, verse 26 through 28 and verse 30. If anyone comes to me, there's three criteria laid out here to being a disciple. Very, very simple. It's all here in this book, in this chapter. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother and wife and children, and brother and sister, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Number one, you are not going to be popular. Number two, Whoever does not carry his own cross, take up his own cross, and come after me, cannot be my disciple. And you'll hear a number of times, death to self is a daily, daily, number two. Number three, for which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down, calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it, so then none of you can be my disciples who does not give up all your, his own possessions. Number three, count the cost, you may have to give up everything. Now, this is completely counterintuitive to leadership. If I told you that the mark of a great leader is how much they suffered, how much they suffered. Galatians 5.24, it says, For those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with all its passions and desires. And this is true of every godly hero that we know in the Bible, and that are my own heroes. If you think about three in the Old Testament, Joseph. Probably a little bit arrogant initially. And then God had to send him into a trial. He suffered. Sent away, sold away to Egypt. Put into prison. Much of his 20s. For those of you who are in 20s, Joseph spent in jail. Suffered again. Wrongly accused by Potiphar's wife. And then much later into his 30s, when he was recognized and given the reward and all that stuff, God had taken him through suffering to prepare him for that. Look at the life of Daniel. Even though he was picked in his, in his teenage years as a young man, an honored God, there were people who were jealous around him. You're going to find that in the workplace. You might even find that in the church. 
He was, his friends were thrown in the furnace. He was thrown in the lion's den, but he was faithful. Nehemiah, another example in the Old Testament. If you look at his life, he had a burden. He was the, the, the chief of staff, so to say. It says the butler. And the number, so think of that as a chief of staff, an important position. And as he came to the king to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, his own people in the church criticized him. And were taking pot shots at him as he sought to build up Jerusalem. And he got done in, in 52 days, what would have taken a year, 52 weeks, to rebuild those. But there is always going to be opposition to a leader when you stand up for your conviction. And the most important thing we can do as we uh, face that conviction is lean in. Lean in. I always think the best time for your growth is a moment of crisis. It's sort of like lifting weights, right? For those of you who work out, or you may have a coach in your life, or you've been in an athletic team, you could start off small, but the more you lift, the more, the stronger you're going to get. The more resistance you face, the stronger you're going to get. It's sort of like that gold rod that's got iron around it. You put it through the furnace. So remember, if God's calling you to leadership, it's not going to be easy. You're going to be taken through some trials. But when the Lord takes you through that, the amazing thing about all of these stories is there are people who come alongside you. I love the fact that Daniel was not alone. He had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or as VeggieTales likes to say, Rack, Shack, and Benny. Okay. In his fellowship circle. So God will bring you others. I thank God through everything that I've had to go through any time in life. There's some brother uh, who's come alongside me, some family of God. When I left home at age 18 and came 8,000 miles away to the United States, I knew no, nobody here. And my saving grace in a foreign land on a scholarship on the East Coast were Christian families. And much through my 20s, I felt like my life was kind of meandering. I'd had a good biblical foundation, but ah, it wasn't really... But the Lord allowed me to sort of say, okay, I'm going to build a hedge. You're not exactly as passionate. I need you to be sold on completely for Jesus. But you'll get there, and there are going to be these layers of protection around you. That's the work of the Lord. And when there's a, there's a moment of crisis, that can be the greatest opportunity. I thank God. When we think about all we've been through as a church, three years ago, we had our moment of crisis... I thank God for the way in which the Lord brought these elders together. Can we have these elders stand up? Um, Arshel, um, Keith, Rocky, anybody else here? Zeke, Carlton. And I will tell you, there was attack and attack and attack. And I, the conviction of the Lord to me was join that circle. Be in the middle of that circle. Stand in the gap. And I thank God for the way in which the Lord has just taken us through one thing or the other. 2014 to 2015, that nine-month period when we uh, had Francis Chan come to, to, to be with us. I was emailing with him last week, and I said, you know, that period of time for us was a complete godsend uh, in terms of those six to nine months. And God sent an apostle to us. And then a year later, the amazing way in which Brian Lewis came our way. We didn't plan this. We weren't doing a search or anything of that kind. The Lord dropped a man of God who has a passion for his kingdom, who has a passion for men and men's huddle, who has a passion for the next generation, for couples, for godly people. This is what the Lord can do in a moment of crisis. And that's exactly when you face a crisis in your life, first lesson of leadership, learn to suffer. And you learn to suffer 
by dying to yourself, whether it's in the Christian walk or if it's in the workplace. And when you face that, it's the exact same time that you will see the Lord's hand completely fall, uh, coming through for you. The second aspect of it, once you've learned to suffer, just like a mother that's bringing birth to a child and great new life, is servant and servant leadership. Now listen, this is completely, again, contrary to the way in which the world looks at either the leadership or prominence. It's the entire aspect of the world is about increase, increase, increase. Increase in your degrees, increase in your wealth, okay? increase in your prestige or titles. The way of God is exactly the opposite. It's all about decrease, decrease, decrease. Okay? Keep looking up here and, 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 and focusing on the front. Okay? And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to walk towards the back. Don't look at me. Just keep looking at the front. And if you want to learn about leadership, brothers and sisters, I'm here to submit to you that you will learn about leadership way, way, way back. When you, see it, when you look at your place as, Lord, you placed me here. You placed me in the back and I'm going to learn to lead by allowing others to be in the front. That's exactly the opposite of the way the world thinks about things. It's always who's in the front row, who's at the top. But the kingdom of God is exactly the opposite. Who's at the back? And when we learn to be a zero in our life, God takes us to places, may use us. Um, I was born the, the oldest of four boys. And just because of age, I thought I kind of had it on my brothers. So I was stronger than them. Four years between me and the second brother. Five years between me and the third. And nine years between me and the fourth. So that's awesome, right? You get to just lord it over them just in physical size. Now they're all bigger and stronger than me. So they've gotten even. But I thank God now today, when I look at my three brothers, I'm just using this as an example. My second and third brother have had the desire to start churches uh, and the God's blessed their ministry. I learned so much from them. They are far ahead of me in the spiritual walk with the Lord. And I look up to them. I ask them for advice. My youngest brother, Sunil, was the first to get married. He's got um, four kids, the oldest of any of 16 grandchildren. I look up to him as an example, as a role model, as a father. And it's amazing how the cycle of life has changed. I feel I'm at the back of the pack. That's awesome, right? But there's hope for me if I'm willing to see myself as the last. Right? And remember that, brothers and sisters, when you can find yourself... At the bottom of the pack, it's a great place to be. It's a great place to be when you can serve. You can serve, and you can serve at Servant Leadership. Okay, I'm going to make this. I've done this illustration before, but I'm going to do it again, because I did a few years ago, and maybe a few of you forgot. Can I get three volunteers? Anybody? Three volunteers, come on up. Any three? First three to come up. Okay, brother. Let's give these brothers a hand. Okay, come on up. Stand on the second row here. Okay. Hold this piece of paper, but with the white part facing the audience, okay? Not what's written. Hold with the white part. I've got one more piece of paper, okay? Okay, brother, you're going to be the brother who is distinguished in the world in degrees. You're a PhD today. Okay. All right? <laughs> I'll buy that. All right? In God's eyes, what is that? Turn that around. Well, I love this brother. He's very smart. PhD in the world, maybe a professor at Stanford, God's eyes, 
a zero. Okay, brother, you're going to be the good-looking brother. Okay? Everybody loves you. All right? Popular, going up, everybody likes you. In God's eyes, turn that around. You're going to be the wealthy brother today. <laughs> he loves that. Big wallet, big bank account, God's eyes. What is that? Turn that around. Okay? Never forget this. In every one of anything you might, whether it's degree, whether it's looks, whether it's money, the world appreciates it. The world thinks of this in God's eyes. It's a reason. But then, okay, brother, step a little bit to the side. A little bit to the sides, a little bit further. No, everyone, you guys stand right there. Now Jesus comes into the picture. Okay? We're going to imagine Jesus here. What does this brother become? Maybe I've got to go like this. Ten. Either way. It's a ten. Right? Jesus is here. You could take lots and lots of these. Many, every one of you. All zeros. What's zero plus zero? Zero times zero. You can multiply all of us here. We're all zeros. And now Jesus comes into the mix. And now the beautiful thing is a Daniel shows up. Come on in, Shadrach. Come on in closer. What do we got now? A hundred. Okay, a Meshach shows up next to him. Wow. And every one of you show up. What do we have next? Ten thousand. Hundred thousand. A million. Thank you, brothers. Can we give them a hand? Thank you. In God's kingdom, you are more than zeros. That is the picture of what the Lord wants to do in every one of our hearts and lives. As we think about servant leadership fundamentally changing the way in which we view life. Let's look at Philippians 2 verse 3 to 9. It says, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, found in appearance of man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason, God exalted him and bestowed him the name which is above every name. Now here's the deal. In the Old Testament, God took these folks through suffering and you know, gave them a prominent position. Daniel was the number two person for four different kings. Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Cyrus, and Darius. Think of it as being sort of a number two, whether it was Republican or Democrat. He was the number two person for multiple decades, all the way till I think he was about 70 years old. In the New Testament, there is no promise that you'll be prominent. Many of these folks were faithful, were taken to the stake and killed, were burned. So whether the Lord gives you accolades in the worldly sense or not, that's not the point. The point is our, our complete creation of character. Now if that does happen, that you're used a, as a Daniel or a Joseph or, or a Nehemiah in the workplace, never forget that you are a zero. I walk in even though in my corporate role I'm the chief operating officer of VMware. That means nothing in the kingdom of God. I have to look at myself every single day and say, it doesn't matter what the title of the world is, what the title thinks. The more important thing in the kingdom of God, I want to be, the, like Paul says, the least among you, the chief of sinners. Because I see, save for the glory of God, that's exactly where I've been, the chief of all sinners. Amen? 
So this is, brothers and sisters, the ways in which you can, you can progress. I would encourage you, practically, for those of you in work, get very comfortable. We do these things uh, in the workplace um, that I encourage folks to do called the 360 feedback, where people give you feedback. And I will tell you, it's humbling to hear things that you're not good at. Right? How many of you like hearing things that you're not good at? You all want to hear about stuff that you're good at. They get comfortable. Some of it might be completely driven by jealousy. That's okay. I've gotten more and more comfortable. And I'm a long way from the level of humility that I want to be at. Many of those folks who are close to me are constantly giving me feedback. In fact, one of the things I did this year in my 360 feedback was include our shell in the 360. And I told, uh, um, uh, we have a coach who's helping me with that at work. I said, listen, I want to have uh, you talk to our shell because I'm sure the insights he can give you about things that I can do better. And be comfortable with it. One of the people who will be closest to you, for those of you who are married, is your husband your wife. Be very comfortable. One of the things I've had to learn, feedback after feedback after feedback for the last 20 years, is how to be a better listener. Okay? Hard for me sometimes. And I remember here getting that feedback 10 years ago at work. And I, um, and I you know, got it. I didn't really share it at home. Five years ago, I shared it with Kathy, and she laughed. Uh, a year ago, when I got the same feedback, she said, see, I told you so. Right? It's an area I got to keep working on. How do I be a better listener? Two years, one mouth. Okay. So whatever the Lord has given you feedback on, one of the illustrations, I'm going to just pick two slides that I've used right out of what I share with even my leadership uh, uh, principles at work. Now these are driven towards some of the things I use at VMware, but I think it shows you how I am trying to not just live my life there, but inspire others. We can pull the first chart. I show this chart to describe what typical corporate hierarchy is. Okay, a bunch of birds. There's a bunch of lower birds below that. And there's just, let's say, white stuff on top of them. Okay? You guys know what that is. And the poor bird that's at the bottom of that hierarchy looks up and what do you think he or she is seeing? Just stuff coming downhill. That's typically what most organizations are. The individual contributor at the bottom of this company is looking up and just getting directive after directive after directive. There's no real help. Quite frankly, what we have to do, if you're a manager, and certainly if you're higher up in the organization, is flip that. Let's go to the next chart. Flip that completely on its head. If you can build out the next chart, where the executive, the senior manager, the middle manager, in our case in, in the software industry, we have engineers and sales reps who serve our customers. We are at the bottom of that pyramid. Completely inverted. It's the same thing in the church. There is no special glory in being an elder or a deacon. All of us who serve, we are at the bottom of that pyramid. We seek to serve. And every one of you who is in a volunteer or a paid staff, our job is to serve and to seek ourselves to see, be in that position. And then when we have that as our philosophy, um, we will find that God gives us grace. There's a promise. There's a tremendous promise. Every promise in Scripture is like a check that you can cash in. I've talked about that before. The promise in Scripture is 1 Peter 5.5. 5, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So you're going through a crisis at work. And you've been humble. And you'll be able to draw into that special grace. And when you feel that, you know what? Something's coming at you that's resisting you and making you humble again. And you say, Lord, why are you taking me through this where I feel humiliated? The outside end of that, I will tell you, brother and sister, is a whole dose of grace. 
whole dose of grace that you're going to be able to get for the next trial. So never forget that. Okay, finally to the third S, being spirit-filled. And I mean not just any spirit-filled. There's lots of spirits in the world. There's a spirit of selfishness. There's a spirit of, of, of wealth. There's a spirit of comfort. There's everything. And some of that's unfortunately uh, infiltrated its way into the church. Prosperity doctrine, health and wealth and comfort. Being Holy Spirit-filled is a very different thing. A very different thing. And I think if you want to be on fire for Jesus, not just in the church, but in your home life and in your work life, there's a couple of different things that you see are the marks of a Spirit-filled Christian. Let's look again at the Scripture. You know, there's plenty of books on my uh, bookshelf at work about leadership. Secular books. Good to great. Books about winning. But I will tell you, the only book that really, really matters is this book, okay? And we'll look at this book again in terms of what it says are the hallmarks of a spirit-filled Christian. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, there's so much that you could, it's kind of a whole sermon on just being spirit-filled, but I'll just pick two or three that I think are important that you can hold on to as a spirit-filled Christian in the workplace. Number one, uh, in, in, in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So, when you're feeling dry, right? John 7 talked about feeling dry. From your innermost beings will flow these rivers of living water. Pray, Lord, brother and sister, for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It will give you power. It will give you power at work when you're feeling like you're being attacked. It will give you power when you're going through a crisis, whether it's at home or any place else. Most of all, it will give you the power to overcome sin. That's what the, that's what the power of the Holy Spirit is most, uh, most important in our life. But I see so many people who are walking through life and they're discouraged, they're under stress. So common. Right? There's a tremendous amount of schedules and things of those kinds. The Silicon Valley has got all kinds of pressures. If you want that supernatural power, ask the Lord to... Fill you with the Holy Spirit. Fill you with the Holy Spirit to transform you to be a man or woman for God. The second aspect that I've sought to make a part of my own uh, ask of the Lord in terms of being filled with the Holy Spirit is self-control. You look at Galatians 5, uh, 5, verse 22 and 23. Many, many fruits of the Spirit. So we talk, one of the, when the Spirit comes upon you, you will have power. Then as you manifest the gifts of the Spirit, it talks about fruits of the Spirit. And there's many. Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there's no law. And I will tell you, this is one of the things that's so hard to find today in the workplace. And it's typically about the tongue. Okay, James talks about the tongue as this powerful fire, as this untamed animal. And sometimes it doesn't have to be the physical tongue. It can be your email. Right? Today's substitute for the tongue is an email. I don't want to say something, so I'll type it up. Right? Before you send it, just put it, it's okay, type it up, put it in the drafts and sleep over it. Maybe the next morning you may want to delete it. Right? It's happened to me many times. I've sent an email, I've regretted it, and then had to apologize the next day. So I've learned a lesson. It's a long email with lots of emotion. I'm going to save it in the drafts, it's okay. Okay, and then I'm going to decide the next day. Self-control, the number of people... I've seen in the workplace who curse. I've had situations where I'll ask somebody, I think I've shared this before, hey, did you know this person in your workplace is a Christian? Sometimes senior up in the company. Oh, you wouldn't know it by the way they use their tongue. 
the way they curse so openly in the meeting, the way they get angry. And when trials and tribulations boil, or something's not going their way, they let loose. Uh, either one-on-one or in a public situation. That should not be our, our life, brothers and sisters. We've got to stand out as an example because of our self-control, because of our patience. Anger is something that's natural to rise up. Frustration, that's, easy, that's natural. But God can give us victory over that. And the final one that's, I think, the most important, that every, this is the place where every one of you can be a leader. Okay? So stay tuned. This is probably the most important part of my message of being spirit-filled is the gift of encouragement. Okay? Any of you worked for a boss that was a micromanager? Who every conversation with them was a critique, 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 critique before they encouraged you? Like it felt like a drip, 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 drip before you. Or maybe it was a parent who you never felt you could do anything right. It was always, okay, yes, you know, they didn't even quite get an acknowledgement of, of praise. It was always what you could do better. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1 to 3. And I want to show you something. I've shared this before, but I want to emphasize this again. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 to 3. It talks about the gifts again of the Spirit. It says, Pursue love, yet desire earnestly the spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And everybody thinks of prophecy as this foretelling the future. No, this is what prophesying is. For one who speaks in the tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands. But in his spirit he speaks of mysteries. But the one who prophesies, it says, they do three things. They edify, they exhort, or they console. Another translation says encouragement. These are three degrees of a coach coming alongside a person. Encouragement is the softer aspect of it. And then, if you have a closer relationship, you actually edify, you build up. Now you've got an even closer relationship where you've encouraged them tremendously and, and you have an exhortation that might be a little bit of building up. But you built the relationship on encouragement. Hebrews 3.13 says, encourage, but I encourage one another day after day, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Okay, that's very special. When you look at that verse, it says, you're likely to get hardened every 24 hours. Right? Exactly what the text says. Okay, for those of us who are married, who do you spend most of your 24 hours with? When you come back from work, morning and night. Your spouse. It's saying here, you're likely to have something that's going to create a hardening between your relationship, husband and wife. In 24 hours. It's just bound to happen. So what's the antidote to that? Encourage her. Encourage him. Encourage her. Encourage him. And you'll find that that hardness goes away. But again, it's so easy. It's my, you get locked into two different parts. It's why does she not see my point of view? Why doesn't he see my point of view? Right? When you practice this, this encouragement, brothers and sisters, it opens up so much. It opens up. It doesn't matter if they've encouraged you or not. Be an example of Jesus' love where he said, turn the other cheek. And the best place to learn that is at home, with your husband, with your wife, with your children. For those of you who have children, it's not long before they leave, 18 years typically, and they're gone. Find a way by which you can encourage them, well before you edify and exhort. So this is one of those places where, when you think about all the different things that you can do to encourage, seek to find examples. I think one of the best examples in the New Testament is this man 
that not many people talk about called Barnabas. If you read the books of Acts, his name was actually Joseph. But they renamed him Barnabas, that means son of encouragement. This guy had a reputation of wherever he went, he was an encourager. In fact, when Saul first got converted and became Paul, every one of the the Jewish people were were suspicious of of Saul. Because he was the guy killing all the Jews. And also all the people who had converted to to Christianity. And Barnabas said, no, you got to take a bet on this person. Later on, Barnabas, working now with Paul, had this man named John Mark. And there was a debate as to whether they should take John Mark. And you read in Acts that Paul and, and, and Barnabas actually split apart. Years later, Paul says, you know what? I made a mistake. I want that brother John Barnabas. Because during that time, Paul didn't see John, Barnab- John Mark as being mature enough. Years later, he says, please bring me back John Mark. That was the work of Barnabas. Who years after years after years said, I'm going to encourage. I'm going to take a bet in this brother. And of course, you see what happens. So that's the ministry that many of you will be called to. Encouragement is something that every one of you can, you can do. Okay? It takes having two ears, one mouth. Everyone here, anyone here have a mouth? Right? And pray that the Lord will give you the word in season. There's a wonderful word in Scripture that says, give us a word in season and out of season. So someone sends you an email and they're asking for a prayer request. Okay? Before you just respond saying, I'm praying for you. Maybe the Lord will give you a verse that you can share with them. That's a lot more impactful than just I'm praying for you. That He's put on your heart. That's very applicable. Very, very applicable. So that's the way in which we live to leave the Christian, Christian life. I thought to end on this very, very inspirational video. Some of you may have remembered this from last year, around September 2016. Uh, there was a triathlon that happened in, in Mexico. Extremely hot conditions. Extremely hot conditions. And there's these uh, two brothers, um, um, Johnny Brownlee and his brother, who were running this triathlon. And Johnny Brownlee was, was, was way ahead of everybody, destined to win. And then something happened in this extreme heat. Let's play the video. Johnny has to win and to be sure of taking the title. And right now he seems to have lost control of his legs. And this is worrying. Oh, and he's starting to slow, and there is a little way to go, there's half a K to go, and Johnny is running out of time, and he's losing, he's losing his sense of direction, this is worrying, oh goodness me, this is a horrible sight, Jonathan Brownlee has lost it now, and has staggered to a stop at the side of the course and Alistair's stopped to help him along and Alistair is going to try and carry his brother home. Dramatic scenes in Cozumel as the Olympic champion carries his younger brother towards the podium. Oh my god, I cannot believe what we are seeing here. Matt, is this allowed? Is he allowed to help his brother? You know, is that part of the rules? I'm not too sure. We've never seen anything like this before. Unbelievable scenes. Unbelievable scenes in Cozumel. The Brownlee brothers arm in arm. But it's not by way of celebration. Henry Schumann's celebrating. He's going to win this race in Cozumel out of nowhere. But we have to be concerned about the health of Jonathan Brownlee. And they're not even on the final stretch yet. Schumann wins in Cozumel. 
the brothers are coming home arm in arm to finish in second and third but Johnny can hardly stand and Alistair is having to drag him across the line and pushing him home pushing him home for second Johnny finishes in second goodness me what an incredible conclusion here in Cozumel I've never seen anything like that anywhere in world sports amazing 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 that brothers and sisters is often what the Christian walk can be like we're not called to walk alone there are going to be times when you're going to feel like Johnny Brownlee and there's going to be an Alistair may not be your physical brother it might be a spiritual brother in Christ you're called to be one of those sometimes you're going to be the Johnny and another time you're going to be the Alistair okay and the Lord's going to bring somebody along you. One of the beautiful pictures. I have a, a chart up there. If you can bring that slide up of Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't read this book, it's a book by John Bunyan. Uh, we read this in our growth group, uh, you know, every few years during the summertime. And it's a picture of this man named Pilgrim, who, who named, as he meets, gets to the cross, gets renamed Christian. And he's walking through the walk of life, a very narrow path on his way to the celestial city. And again and again, through much of his walk, he's alone. And then one person comes alongside him, faithful, for a good period of his life, almost two-thirds of his life, a man named Faithful. But Faithful is burned at the stake as a martyr. And not barely is Faithful burned at the stake that another brother comes with him. And this is a picture of Hopeful and, and Christian, a pilgrim renamed Christian, at the gates of, of heaven. And you see them both walking in together. So whether it's husband or wife, whether it's father and child, or mother and child, or whether it's brother and brother, sister to sister, whoever the Lord has called you to be an encouragement to, that's the easiest part of being a disciple. It's an easiest part of being a leader. And anybody here can be an encouragement. And the Lord has called us into that type of walk with Him where when you're an encouragement, the Lord can use you when you have become a zero, the Lord can use you. When you've died to yourself and you've suffered, the Lord can use you. So remember once again, as I wrap up here, the keys to being a, a, a leader, the Lord's called you to be one. It doesn't have to be somebody who's in management or not management. Apply the same things that Jesus talks about being a disciple. Suffer, serve, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And probably the most important thing that uh, is a mark of uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit, the spirit of encouragement. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have come to seek that which is lost. You haven't come for the, for the, for the healthy and for those who are so-called rich in themselves and have no need, Lord. You've come for those who are in need. So we come to you in need. Because we don't see in us a natural desire to die to ourselves. We see a natural desire to puff ourselves up. We don't see a natural desire to serve and to go and become a zero. We see a natural desire to get on the treadmill and, and, and go up and up and up. And We don't see a natural desire to encourage. We're constantly critical and complaining. But you can transform us, Lord, to the power of the Holy Spirit. We know you can. And I pray for every brother and sister this morning that something that was spoken today would be an inspiration to their life, that they can go away wherever you place them. For the majority of us, it's in the workplace. Be a disciple 
of Jesus that's on fire for you, wherever you've placed us. The time is short, Lord, before you come back. We don't know if it'll be another generation before you come back or before you take us home. I pray that we'll be ready. And for every day, every month, every year that you have kept us on earth, Lord, I pray we'll be a witness for the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.